So good to be here. Pastor John, Danielle, Josh, thank you for having me. I feel like a local in your house. Um, I think I've, I've spoken to you guys probably three, four times over the years. Last time was right in the middle of the spicy cough uh, epidemic. Um, since then, I have caught spicy cough back in January. And the last 10 months, I've adventured in Antarctica. Uh, I've trained with the Inuit right up near the North Pole, the Arctic Circle. Um, I've traveled in Norway, Iceland, France, Kenya, Tanzania, and just recently South Africa, and crossed the Simpson Desert uh, after 11 years of trying. So it's been a big 10 months. Um, so today, um, if we can just go to who I am, for those of you who, who here wouldn't have heard me share my story before, so significant number, I better let you know who I am then. Um, if we go to the next slide, my first and foremost, I am husband to this beautiful lady, Sarah. We've been married 30 years, so um, she's nearly as patient as Shorty Sandy, is it? <laughs> We both put our wives through a bit of stress by the sound of it, of different origins. I, I um, haven't drug dealed in three states, but maybe that's the next adventure. <laughs> uh, no, we won't go there. Um, but my, probably my single greatest achievement is that we're still best mates. After 30 years of, of brutal marriage at times where we've disagreed on big things and come back together again and agreed and... Uh, you know, as, a, as males, we generally are in the wrong. So if you're disagreeing with your wife, it probably won't happen today, but eventually you'll come round. So just make it easy, just agree today. The male brain uh, is not often right on the big issues. So trust your wife. Uh, going on to the next slide, these three little grommies, uh, are my three. So we've got young Katali crying there, uh, Superdog Krusty, who I actually found her ashes in the office yesterday. I was doing a clean out. So still very important to me, her ashes. And then we've got uh, baby Jade is a, a prosecutor putting away bad guys for Queensland police. And uh, little Java, who's a palliative care nurse. So the other, if we go to the next slide, my probably second greatest achievement is that those times in the car where you thought these kids were going to kill each other, they're never going to be friends, finally they pop through this ceiling and they're best of mates. So for those of you in the trenches with young kids who are trying to kill each other in the back of the car, it will happen. They will become mates as long as you are really firm that that's the outcome you want. Awesome. Keep going through those slides for me. So the Sahara Desert journey, and the reason I go through these journeys is just to give you a little bit of background in terms of my adventure development and also how the Christian faith can work out to develop your resilience in the harshest environments on the planet. And if they work for me in the Sahara Desert, above the Arctic Circle, in, the, in Antarctica, then absolutely these keys that are brought to us in, in, through our faith will work in your life to change your tenacity, your grit, your resilience, whatever we call it. So today I'm really calling you through adventure to live a, uh, a slightly different life. Okay, so the challenges here, if we keep going on, were that 700 kilometres of that desert were mined with landmines. 
And the interesting thing was it was the first team that I had built. So I, I, I really wasn't looking for resilience or grit when I built that team. It was anyone who was mad enough to come and do it. So we had four guys, two Kiwis, two Aussies, racing each other across the desert. Of the 13 men that stepped up to that expedition, nine of them had emotional and physical breakdowns over the next 42 days, mainly caused by the fact that we were being tracked by Al-Qaeda bandits who had beheaded four British tourists the previous month. We had 700 kilometres of landmines, and if you're driving on a vehicle through a landmine field, you can follow a set track. When you're under wind power, you think you have it underhand, and then suddenly you're getting pulled sideways through a landmine field. So that perpetual stress just ground us down. What was really interesting was that the four men that didn't break down, one was Alan Wilson, my father. He was in charge of the money. He's a Oh, can you say ass? Probably not. He's a tight ass. So he was, put in, he was put in charge of the money. He didn't break down. My uncle, Uncle Derek, was in charge of water procurement. Nobody got sick. He was finding wells where I don't think anyone knew there were wells. He didn't break down. I didn't break down. And then Lance is a fellow from the Sunshine Coast, so I think he's part reptile. He'd probably be at your petting zoo. His heart rate is so slow, I don't think he's ever had a stress day in his life. But it taught me that there's some fundamental in our family when it comes to resilience and grit. And it was the beginning of my exploration into, okay, what is it? What, it is, what is it different about my upbringing and my immersion in adventure that allows me to prevail where stronger men will break down? So this next image, if we go on one, is from my first crossing of the Antarctic continent. Everything that possibly could go wrong went wrong. Day three, the single biggest storm to hit the Antarctic continent in 50 years hit me. I know we've spoken about this storm before because it's formative. I still have trauma from it. It was brutal. 200 kilometer an hour winds, minus 47 degrees Celsius. I was within minutes of breaching the tent I rang through to my mentor and said, I feel like I'm gonna die. And he said, okay, what, what tent have you got? And I told him the brand of tent. And he said, okay, that's rated to 80 knots. You'll be fine as long as the wind doesn't get over 80 knots. I said, that's great, it's 78 knots. <laughs> and rising. What will happen if this tent breaches? He said, well, you need to get off the phone and call your wife, because your survival time will be less than four hours. So we had that conversation. Survived the storm, went on. Next slide. This is the tail end of the storm. Keep going for me. Remembering it was for breast cancer, the sled was called the boob sled. So that weird looking sled uh, was molded from my patient wife. He hasn't put you through that trauma, has he, Sandy? Having your boobs seen all over the world. Going to the next slide. The food bags burst. So I lost two weeks' worth of food. I then suddenly was told by the American support team, we need to do an airdrop. We need to get you some food. I said, no, I'll cross without food, thank you very much. I'll starve, but I will not take assistance. I needed that solo unsupported. That's what the goal was for. Over the next two weeks, I found reserves within my system that I never knew I had. If I hadn't lost the food, I would never have learned how to roll the clock. And what that was, was I would eat a full meal in the morning, 
and then go for 18 to 20 hours non-stop. Eat another full meal, sleep for four hours, do it again. Eat another full meal after four hours sleep, do it again. I thought maybe I could do that for three cycles over 48 hours. I ended up doing that for 10 days straight. And the food getting lost set me up for a 53-day crossing. I ate my last meal on the last day and then waited three days for pickup. There's been seven men try and break that record in the last nine years. One of them died in the attempt. So sometimes the worst times set us up for the best times. Those valleys that you're in set up the mountains on either side. But in this case, it was just understanding the absolute core of human resilience and the ability of the Christian faith to create miracles that project you well past your own potential. Let's go on. Frostbite, so same journey. I managed to freeze my entire midsection over the next six weeks. I had to cut away bits of flesh. This is just when the, the skin is starting to thaw and it feels like someone's running a blowtorch across your middle. The next morning, you've got to strap a kite harness over the top of that wound and put up with it for 20 hours. Keep going, keep going. Okay, we're going to the next one. So the following journey after this came five years after this man here on my right crossed from Australia to Papua New Guinea with me. 80 kilometres, and I'm sure I've told this story, 80 kilometres from the coast, he gives up. He's dating my beautiful daughter Jade at the time. I have to kite back upwind and I'm in the water with him going, what's going on, Simon? He says, I can't do it. We're 310 kilometres from the Australian coast, 80 kilometres from the Papua New Guinea coast. And I'm looking at him going, how can you give up now? You can see the Owen Stanley range. There's this purple smudge on the horizon. It's the incredible hills that our soldiers fought through in 40-42 in the, in the uh, Kokoda campaign. We could see it in the distance. And he's going to give up right here. I said, Simon, you need to understand that the human body has a flick switch, and it flicks about 30% early. It's a survival mechanism telling you you're done when you're not done. You need to dig deep today, and it will drain you to 5%. Besides, if you want to marry my daughter Jade, <laughs> you're going to get to Papua New Guinea. He could have married into easier families. He's been immersed in resilience culture for five years. We're on the Greenland Plateau, attempting to break the Norwegian record at 24 days for crossing from the south of Greenland to the north. Seven days in, we've covered less than 30 kilometres. We're getting our backsides handed to us, and I'm having a mantrum. I'm punching a kite into the snow, and Simon walks up to me and says, have I offended you? I said, no, 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 I'm not upset with you. I am pounding the ground. I said, what are you pounding the ground for? He said, I'm demanding a redeal of the cards. We have trained harder than anyone I know before this expedition. We have the best gear that we could afford. I have all the knowledge and the ability, and the weather is not aligning with us. We've been in wet, sludgy snow, the wind from the wrong direction. I'm demanding a change in the outcome. The next morning, after being told off by my wife for having a bad attitude over the satellite phone, I put my boots back on 
And in the next seven days, we broke the record for the longest distance ever covered by duo. 18 days later, we stepped off onto frozen ocean at the north of Greenland, having smashed the record by six days. So this boy never once looked like tapping out during that journey. So he's gone from the son of an academic to a battle-hardened polar explorer in five years. So some of that stuff he was immersed in, we're gonna go through today and apply into your very core. And I warn you, I've had two coffees this morning. I'm only allowed one. So I'm fired up. We're gonna get this into your core. Let's go. Keep going. Next slide. Okay, who's got kids going to schoolies this year? In here. Yep, you're a worried dad, I'm sure. Rather than go to schoolies, I said to Sarah, my wife, hey, listen, let's, let's get him out of schoolies. I'll take Kit on a nice, easy adventure. We're going to fly up to Alaska and be the first father-son team to cross the Brooks Range on inflatable kayaks. And there's a mountain there. It's easy. It hasn't been climbed since 1950. Mount Dunarat. Go to the next slide. These are the inflatable kayaks. We get dropped off at the top of the Brooks Range in an aircraft. Next slide. This is Mount Dunarak. Has not been climbed. What we didn't know, it's like climbing a bunch of broken records. When you grab the rock, it just crumbles in your hands. Very, very dangerous mountain. Day two, I roll a kayak, flood the only communication device we had, lose all contact with the outside world. Four days later, I managed to get enough buttons to work to SMS Sarah that we're alive and well. She was about to send the cavalry, a very expensive recovery. Day 10, we come around the corner. We go to the next slide. And this, this is the kind of nights we were having. But you're on these round stones, and we could hear the grizzly bears sniffing around the tent. You're in a tiny little bit of canvas. <laughs> This is not the actual bear. When you're getting attacked by a bear, the last thing you have out is your GoPro. <laughs> we came around the corner and there's a big, what well, looked like a nice friendly brown rabbit, 450 kilo rabbit, eating berries on the side of the bank. And he's probably from here to the corner of the room away. We're halfway across a little river. He stands to his full height, he's nine foot tall. I've never seen a more intimidating predator in my life. And then something switched. He charged at full tilt, heading for the river. And in my brain, I'm thinking the river will protect us. He can't swim. He doesn't look like he can swim. But it was probably half a second before he got to the edge of the bank and just kept on coming. He hit the water like a Honda Civic doing 40K an hour, surfed on his chest, and about from here to Shorty away, he hit what I would say was a prayer wall. A little lady called Heather Clark in our church on the Gold Coast had woken up knowing I was about to be torn apart by some predator. And she intervened for me. Have you ever seen a boxer stupid enough to run into a French glass window on the veranda? That's what this bear hit. It was literally like he hit a glass pane. Up till that point, I was fumbling with a flare gun on my chest. I couldn't get the pouch open. He would have been on me in less than half a second and killed me in front of my son. Of all of the misadventures in my life, it's one that haunts me still because the, the violence of that bear was absolutely terrifying. But go on. Okay, so the, the most recent polar journey was an attempt 
to break Mike Horn's record of 2017, 4,814 kilometres. By doing so, I was trying to get out through the New Zealand coast down here. So New Zealand's down here. I could not get permission. So we're in a brewery in Hobart after seven years lobbying to get into this sector. And my cameraman says, surely there's a way you can get out and then back. And I just said, Jason, wind does not work like that. I said, humor me, order a pint and let's look at the wind charts. So that's what we did. And we realized that if I can get over Dome Argus, there's a wind current that uses the rotation of the earth, the Coriolis effect to get me home. If I could get a, high, a kite high enough into the atmosphere, I could hang on and get brought all the way home. Nobody had ever used the Coriolis effect to get home. Nobody had crossed Dome Argus and everybody in the polar scene said it can't be done. You'll die on, pole, on Dome Argus because it's out of retrieval zone. There's a 300 kilometer circle here where nobody could get an aircraft to because it was too high. The plane could land, but it would never take off again. So in that DNR zone, literally, I know we shared this story last time, I broke down and rang home for what I thought was the last time, saying, I'm done. I've, I've gone too hard. I'm completely exhausted. I can't go back. I can't get home. I can't get picked up. The maturity of our marriage over time has gone from the B-slap through the phone over the early adventures, get your boots back on and get a better attitude, to, honey, I know you feel you're finished, but double your calories and sleep eight hours. Josh reminded me of that this morning. Let's talk in the morning. I dug a trench next to the, to the um, tent I was so fatigued, I didn't trust my brain to actually work out what wind I needed. The wind was rolling downhill, and in the morning a miracle occurred. Wind does not roll uphill in Antarctica. I had regenerated supernaturally overnight, and from a man who thought he was going to die the day before, suddenly this miracle wind was there, and 22 hours later, the kite fell out of the sky on the top of Dome Argus. And that set me up for what is still now the longest solo polar journey in human history, 5,316 kilometres. Let's keep going for me. We had everything in this journey. Day two, I froze all the fingers on one hand. It went black. Keep going. Went black over the next few days. And in four weeks in, I thought I was going to have to amputate the digit, do a little bit of veterinary science. Stupidly, I left the local anaesthetic at home because it was too heavy. So there was not going to be any anaesthesia at all. Keep going. One more. The most terrifying part of this journey was the crevassing. So day 56, I strayed into an area of broken ice. You can see here, I'm on healthy ice here. I've got a kite up. This is what they call a snow bridge. That's a snow bridge. That's a thin crust of ice covering a hole the size of Q1. The ice there is five kilometers thick, so when it bends over a rock feature, it splits and the holes are enormous. You could fall for 30 seconds before you hit the deck. You're not gonna survive. Just before this journey, the only other man that would rival me for distance covered on ocean, sand, or ice, Dixie Danzakura, one of my heroes, stepped into a crevasse like this and died in Greenland. 
So I knew how dangerous they were with men that had way more experience than me. 42 crevasses over the next two hours I crossed. And my theory was the harder and faster that I went, the safer I was. And then you'd, I didn't think about it. But every single one, you're just praying that a supernatural hand would hold that bridge up. I would stop and recover and then just test a snow bridge to see maybe I'm imagining how dangerous this situation is. If you go to the next slide, that's a, a, a cap that the sleds have gone past me and fallen onto the snow bridge. By rights, they should have pulled me after them to my death. I unclipped and stepped on the bridge to see how strong it was. Next slide. That's my boot gone through into open space bottomless blue hole. There's no way that that should have held the weight of 160 kilos of sled. So miracle after miracle. Let's go straight on. Obviously, you get through that and you give thanks and go, okay, I feel like Gideon laying out the fleece. Why am I surviving again and again and again? And I think a large part of that is bringing back things to our people, to our church to understand that we are supernaturally set for an amazing life. You have talents in your spiritual toolkit that we are just not accessing. You're built for an extraordinary life. Going on to the next slide, we'll just keep banging through these. So my most recent journey was a private vendetta. John asked me, what did you cross that crazy desert for? Um, generally, I would only operate for a charity or something that I really believe in. But this one was personal. Three times I've been sent home embarrassed by this desert. It's our own little red centre, and it's been impossible to cross. It's got these parallel dunes. The Simpson is the biggest parallel dune desert on planet Earth. 600-kilometre circle, 650 dunes, and wind that just changes its mind like a crazy cut snake. It can change direction three, four times in a day which makes it very hard to cross using wind power. We're going to go to a little um, short clip here, I think. Amazing. So that one to me is quite emotional because it was, it was just between me and the Simpson. We had a very small team had a very small team, uh, just myself, Neville, who's a Christian, and then my mate Jason, who's far from it. And uh, he just saw miracle after miracle. So Jason has a big question mark over his head because on the last day, uh, or the day before the last day, I was set for man hauling for another three days, 100 kilometres to go, and I really wanted to finish under kite power. I had loaded a, a playlist of songs and a song came up that had not played over the previous 18 days, uh, Hillsong's The Fresh Wind Is Coming. And I had this chill over my body going, God, you have a sense of humour. The fact that you're watching me do this crazy thing, like I'm pulling a three-wheel buggy as an adult male through the desert, you have a sense of humour. And the fact that you would shuffle my playlist and remind me that a miracle is coming. I didn't think too much more, but I played that song three more times that afternoon as I pulled this sled, and I'd expected to finish under manpower. That night, 
I downloaded a weather file from Belgium. Mark de Kaiser has been my lucky rabbit's foot. He sits in front of a computer in Belgium and sends me weather information. And he's generally right within about 15 minutes from the other side of the planet. He said, a fresh wind is coming. You're going to get a subtly change tonight. It's going to be gale force and you're going to finish under kite power and it's going to be wild. And I, I just started to laugh. And Nev said, what's going on? And I said, we've just had another miracle. And Jason's like, what miracle? And I said, well, uh, this song came on telling me to believe a fresh wind is coming. And literally four hours later, I'm in camp and from Belgium, a forecast of a miraculous change coming through overnight. At two o'clock in the morning, we got blasted from the south. And I woke up at dawn to find Jason buried with an inch of sand in his tent, all through his beard, all through his face. I've gone, you've got miracle all over your face. <laughs> Finished the journey. Okay, let's go into some tools for wilderness survival. So in the time that I've got left, I've got three things that will generate resilience in your life. And if you can wrap them in, we're often chasing resilience, but re resilience is a byproduct of these three things. So number one, let's go on. Next slide, please. If I wrap in the VetLove story into this, so VetLove is our veterinary company. I've always kept a really big firewall between the veterinary company and the adventure company, only because a prophet is never a prophet in his hometown. To my people, I'm just Jeff the vet. But Mel, who's my amazing managing director, at the beginning of COVID, I had literally just come out of South Africa. People were getting sick in February. By March, we were into our first lockdowns. She said, listen, you're sharing this resilience message all over corporate Australia. Why do you not share it with our own people? So, well, listen, I'm, I'm just Jeff to our people. She said, no, you're not. They need to hear this. And now, with all of this toughness coming with COVID, more than ever, we need to hear this resilience message. So over the last two and a half years, we've been just percolating this gently through our own people and seen a radical change within our own business in terms of growth, bottom line improvement, but more and more, just people not tapping out in situations that I would have expected them to tap out, they push through, prevail and prosper. That's what we're about today. So the number one driver of resilience in our lives, we can keep going on for me, is this. It's actually the root word, ikigai, is a Japanese word for the meaning for your life. Or literally, why do you put your boots on in the morning? If we go to the next slide, one of the biggest battles of the Second World War was the battle for Okinawa. It's where this word came from. So you know that if you've got a people like C3 Powerhouse who understand their ikigai, their purpose, there's no battle you're not going to prosper in. So 300,000 men and women were thrown into this battle. They expected it to be over in a couple of days. 82 days later, they finally took this 70-mile long island one of the fiercest resistance in the history of human conflict. If we look at the ratio of soldiers from this battle that came away with post-traumatic stress disorder, there's no single battle with a higher percentage of PTSD. And that's because they were fighting people with ikigai, with purpose. So today in the Christian faith, we have an overarching purpose that we understand. 
to show you the love of Jesus and to make disciples of all men. That's understood. But it's the next level down where I feel we have a lot of our people lost. They understand that overarching purpose, but that's not the key driver in your job, in your day-to-day life. So for me, I have a purpose in the veterinary world. It's very clear I'm there to reduce pain. I, every day I put my boots on. I'm out there to be a voice for the voiceless and to reduce pain in the animals that I see. On the adventure side, it's very clear to me I'm here to have these discussions with our Australian people and get a life of purpose back into our Christian people, into our corporate people, into our young people. That's my purpose. So today, if you feel like you do not know what your ikigai is, what your purpose is, you need to spend time over the next month. It's not a quick fix. You need to understand if you're in a job that you absolutely detest, you need to find some reason for getting your boots on. There must be something in what you're doing you can turn it and change it. Who am I affecting? Who am I touching? Why am I here? As a Christian person, there has to be a greater purpose. You're built for it. If we go to the next slide. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, this is the driver of you understanding you have purpose. So if Shorty is built like a brick outhouse, God knew he was going to be built like that when he was just two cells in the womb. He understood who he was. He understood the journey he would be through. And I'm sure, surely, there's times when you looked in the mirror and said, why am I here? Absolutely. I've done things that I'm not proud of. I don't feel like God's got a purpose for me. He absolutely does have a purpose for you. And we saw a lot of that this morning through your incredible story. But for those of you who, who cannot look in the mirror and go, God knew me. God made me. You need to get that understanding. There's nothing about the way you are that is an accident. For me, as a, a cleft palate, my mum was on anti-malarials in Africa when I was born. The parts of my face didn't join up. Seven operations, bullying at school, learning how to fight like a little dirty street dog. That has given me the tenacity and grit that I use in the field every day. It gave me the ability to to feel pain but not succumb to pain. Without those terrible times, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. So there's nothing in your life that's an accident. And you understanding that from the cellular level, the creator of heaven and earth understood you and knew you, That is massively powerful in driving your purpose and through purpose, your resilience. You know yourself, if you step into a storm and you don't know why you're there, that storm's going to knock you over. In that first storm, a guy who is now a good friend, he's actually flying to Australia next week, Faisal Hanesh, a well-recognized French explorer. He was the first French explorer to get to the North Pole. We were both trying to be the third man to cross Antarctica solo unsupported. That 50-year storm came and he never recovered. 17 days later, he's airlifted off the continent, broken and defeated. 53 days later, I pushed on and stood on frozen ocean on the other side of the continent, largely because of the purpose. I knew I was standing there for women that had had double mastectomies, were connected to chemo. While I was in that very storm, they were getting chemicals pumped into their body. 
I've cycled through their images, their faces in my mind. That purpose gave me supernatural resilience. So today, to find resilience, tenacity, grit in your life, you have to understand God knows you. He puts you together perfectly. There's nothing that's an accident, and there's a purpose for you being here. Okay, next slide. Frederick Nietzsche, an incredible guy, survived Auschwitz. He understood it. Those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. The storm will never roll you over if you know why you're there in the first place. Let's go. Passion. Okay, we have a choice. As Christian folk, we can just wander on through life and not show that incredible passion that we're known for. Or we can be loud and proud and live a life full of purpose, full of passion. And when I think of passion, I go to uh, this most recent journey. If we go to the next slide, I don't know if you can have a glass of rosé in church, but this is about as close, close as we'll get. My wife loves a good rosé, a dry rosé. We're in Norway. The Norwegians are not known for customer service. We've asked this guy, hey, can we have a rosé? And he grunted at us and said, we have red or we have white. We go, no, we'd like the one in the middle, the little pink one. And anyway, so he goes out the back, he's rummaging around, comes back, slams a bottle of pretty ordinary rosé on the table and harumps off. And Sarah has to open it herself, goes, this tastes like bath water, but I'll take it anyway. And then we leave, pretty underwhelmed. Six weeks later, we're in the south of France, same conversation with a young guy, comes up in a little cobbled street. We're on cheap chairs, plastic chairs. He said, listen, can I have a rosé? Can you have a rosé? We're in the heart of rosé country. There's five vineyards within five kilometres, blah, 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 blah. He's just going off. And Sarah says, just get me a dry rosé. Goes out the back, comes out, shows her the bottle, gives her a taste. She loves it. Prior to that, he's popped the cork with a very loud pop. The whole restaurant's looking at us. She's excited. He slams the bottle down, does a spin, and yells out, voila. Didn't take much more calories than the Norwegian guy, but the effect was completely different. We still talk about him in our business. I want every single animal coming in to have a voila moment. Every client coming in needs to have a voila moment. Every person coming into C3 Powerhouse is gonna have a voila moment because we are passionate about what we do. We know why we're here, we're driven through purpose, and there's gonna be a change in the very ground underneath us. Okay, let's go on, next one, I know I'm over time. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. This is me. I worship my God with this passion. I imagine there were sights that you didn't wanna see because the loincloth's opening up and there's bits popping out. There's a dead rooster here or there. He doesn't care, he's dancing with passion, with all his might. He's using the same calories. He's gonna lift a lady and go into the ground. Wouldn't we wanna burn that body up and leave nothing to chance? To dance with all our might, be passionate in everything we do, love fiercely, argue fiercely, be a fierce father, be a ferocious mother, be a fierce, passionate friend. The way to live. Let's go to the, the single last key. This is one 
That's a choice. As sure as there's air in the room, air in my lungs, there will be times in your life where you get a punch to the face and you're on the mat and you have a choice. Do I stay on the mat? There's sometimes there's time to stay on the mat, to heal from that cancer or heal from that grief, that loss, the pain. That is natural and fine. What I'm talking about is us as a Christian people staying on the mat. That is not acceptable. That is not how you have been built. It's not what you're wired for. You are wired for greatness. You're wired to stand tall. So persistence is key. And if we go on another slide. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The connection here is you are not mature and complete until you have wrapped perseverance into your life into your Christian war. You cannot say you are a done work, and I know I keep coming back to Shorty. We've both got lots to work on. We're not done until we're showing perseverance. That's one of the key recognizers of maturity in the Christian faith. It's the key thing that will get you to continue on. With that Simpson journey, I could easily have given up at the first attempt. I could have given up at the second attempt, given up the third time when challenges came. But I love that saying, I never lose, I either win or I learn. And I took the learnings from the failures into the next journey and our success in 2022 came down to one single thing, perseverance. Let's go on to the last slide. Purpose, passion, persistence. This will come, don't focus on the resilience development. If we can get those three things in order, absolutely. And you have supernatural advantage in all of these, all of these things. The number of times that I have been prompted and saved from walking to a bush where I felt all of the hair on the back of my neck stand up in Botswana. I was there to go get a naughty teenage girl who'd left camp to go have a shower when she'd been instructed not to. I approached that bush, had a supernatural knowing that I was going to die. And I stepped away, grabbed my daughter, and we ran and got the Land Rover, came back. All of my prints were covered by a female lion that had killed before. She was in that bush. God understands you. He knows why you're here. And he will prevail and protect you. But what an amazing life to live, knowing that we are supernaturally propelled through all we do. If you can keep going for me. This is a guy that I see in my mind every morning. Every morning. This is a Spartan soldier. As Christian people, we are Spartans. We understand as we put that armor on in the morning, our spiritual armor, you need to know your purpose when you get up in the morning. Know that this guy is not going to roll over and stay on the mat. You could knock him over 10 times. He's going to get up and come back at you. And he's going to live a life of passion. Dance like David. So today I encourage you to build those things into your life. Start with purpose. Your passion will come. Your persistence is learned. Awesome. So, hey, my next journey. Let's go to the next journey. The Nanook X Home of the Bear Polar Bear Expedition will start September next year. Next slide. Follow me on Instagram if you, you oldies don't know. Get one of the young ones to load it up. <laughs> Those three things will just be infused through this journey. It's a two-year-long polar campaign. 
just going to the parts of the planet that are being affected most by climate change, trying to get Australians to understand what we can do to save this beautiful planet for up until Jesus comes. I don't want it to be a smoking mess when he comes. We've got to have someone for him to sit. Awesome. So excited today. Hey, five o'clock tonight, I'll be sharing again. And I always find different stories. So come back again. And, uh, but excited. I, I want to see change. It's so exciting. Our people, you are Spartans for Christ. Thank you so much. Yeah.